Traditionally, the months of the year are dedicated to some particular devotion. We're familiar with May being dedicated to Our Lady, June to the Sacred Heart. In August, it will be dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, but this month of July, which we begin today, is dedicated to the precious blood of Jesus, which was poured out for us. So, on this first day of July, I'd like to reflect with you on the precious blood. In order to understand the price of the blood of Christ, we need to first understand how blood was understood in the first century, in the Jewish people, and even going back thousands of years before. Blood for the ancient people, not only for the, in particular for the Hebrews and the Semitic peoples, but for others as well. Blood was something almost divine. It was the life force in a living being. In Moses, uh, in the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic uh, Dispensation, it was forbidden to drink the blood of an animal. It was in some way seen perhaps as being disrespecting God who gave life. There, we might think of all the bloody sacrifices, animal sacrifices that were offered up by the Jews and also by other peoples. Today, at least in modern Western culture, blood sacrifices are something that is pretty much extinct. But back 2,000 years ago, this was a, a very real lived reality. Blood was dedicated to God, sometimes poured out as a libation or an offering. We might think of the blood of the lamb in the Passover sacrifice. God had told the Israelites on the eve before he brought them out of Egypt that they were to kill a lamb, one year old, to sacrifice that, putting the blood over the door and on the lintel post of, the, um, of their houses and that the angel of death would pass over at their homes as he went to strike down the firstborn of the Egyptians. And, for, and since that time that the Israelites had come out of Egypt, each year they had commemorated that with sacrificing a lamb. I believe it's Josephus who tells us that at Passover time, you know, thousands and thousands, actually tens of thousands of lambs were sacrificed. And he describes how out of this portal or the side of the temple, blood flowed. It would come down into the valley, mixed with the, the water and flow into the waterway. It really looked like a river or a stream flowing from the temple. That's important for us to understand, to understand the sacrifice of the cross. Remember that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John points out Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's talking about the Paschal Lamb. This is the true Lamb of God. The lambs, the goats, the bullocks, the pigeons, the doves, anything else you've sacrificed before has only been a symbol of the one person who can take away sins. This was the understanding, besides blood being something almost divine, that there was no remission of sins in the ancient understanding without the spilling of blood. Some life had to be taken to substitute 
for one's own life. It's a concept that's kind of foreign to us. But not to those people, and certainly not to our Lord's mind. Jesus spills every drop of his blood for us that our sins might be taken away. Now, it would have been sufficient for our Lord to have spilled just one drop of his blood in order to take away our sins. He could have cut himself working in Joseph's shop, working on some project, or scraped his knee, and that would have been enough to redeem us. But he chose to go through the brutality of crucifixion that we might see the depths of love that he has for us. He didn't just give us a little of his blood, but every drop of it. When did that begin? Even the night before he died, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, feeling the weight of what he was about to do, his sweat became blood. The next, or even that night, as he's beaten, slapped, much more would have begun the passion, that blood that would have come forth, his scourging, wherein his whole body, not just his back, was, was made into a, a living rag, crowned with thorns. There wasn't one part of his body that wasn't bleeding for us. And why did he go to that extent? Because if we had seen, if we had heard that God had come and spilt one drop of blood, it'd be easy to shrug it off. It would have been sufficient to save us. But would we have really been able to see the depth of his love? God takes sin seriously. And so he wants us to see how seriously he takes it by sending his son as the lamb, the ransom of Christ. When he's placed on the cross, in addition to all the other wounds that he has, then there become those five springs, his hands, his feet, his side, portals, in which that blood flows forth for us. What crucifixion wants. And Jesus invites him into that portal of mercy, into his open wounds. Come, Thomas, place your hands in my wounds. Stop doubting, but believe. That fifth wound being his open side, his transfigured side, in which water and blood flows forth. And John in his gospel says, an eyewitness, meaning himself, testifies to this as being true. Now, in speaking of the blood of Christ, it's good for us to reflect on the Eucharist as well, because in the Eucharist we receive not only the body, but also the blood of Christ. Whether we receive under the form of the host, or whether we receive from the chalice, it's the total Christ. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yes, the, the bread symbolizes more clearly his body, the, the chalice, with the wine consecrated his blood, but both contain the total Christ there present. The reason, in fact, that we have the two of these, besides being the form that our Lord gave us at the Last Supper, is that it symbolizes in a very concrete way 
the separation of his body and blood. Where on the cross, he drained himself of his blood for us. That life force and truly divine blood. The blood of God, the God-made man, poured out for us. Now, it's important for us to note, too, that when we receive under the form of the host, we receive, since we receive the total Christ, it's not necessary for us to receive from the chalice. It's a nice symbol, and it uh, more perfectly does um, show forth the reality that we're receiving the total Christ. But there are several practical reasons why many churches don't do that. Perhaps in travels or when you've been in another parish, maybe you have seen it done that way. But um, for one thing, it requires a parish to spend a lot more money and have a lot more space for storing all the wine. So just on a practical level, it uh, requires a lot more extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, communion stations. But the real reason why many parishes don't do it is because um, there's much greater potential uh, for the blood of Christ to be, sp be spilled accidentally. And I've seen this many times, even as a seminarian, kind of on a regular basis. And so it's important for us to remember as we think about the blood of Christ, to remember that we are receiving each time we receive the host. Or the person who maybe has um, a gluten intolerance, they receive a, a host that has less gluten, uh, gluten in it, or if they receive in the chalice, they're receiving the body of Christ in the same and total way. Even if a priest has to break a host, say that he's not consecrated enough, the Lord isn't diminished in any way. The blood of Christ. We need to call that down upon ourselves because it is the price by which we were redeemed. We need to ask that blood to sanctify us, to sanctify our minds, to make them holy, to not only wash away our sins, but to cleanse us of the memory of sin. Long after repentance, sometimes sins, especially habitual sins, sins that we were immersed in, can cling to us still in our memory, can make us feel ashamed or less worthy of God's presence, God's grace. And we, we need to ask that blood of Christ Sanctify my mind, purify my mind, heal my memory, make me new. There's a, an incredible psychological healing that can come about through invoking the blood of Christ and living in that reality. But also the blood of Christ not only heals us, but is our strong, it's our armor, it's our support. The blood of Christ, because it was shed for us, flies in the face of Satan. He can't stand the name of Jesus, as I've told you before, and he can't stand the fact that God took a human body and redeemed us with that body. And the blood of Christ, just as it was put, the blood of the Lamb was put above the doorpost, is the spiritual blood which is put above the doorposts of believers. You know, when we sign ourselves with, the, with holy water, we are, in a certain sense, entering into that blood of Christ. We're asking that blood of Christ to cover us. In the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it talks about those who are saved, who are around the throne of the Lamb, as having washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Perhaps today we should ask ourselves, are we immersing ourselves in the blood of Christ? I remember growing up 
uh, seeing a movie fictionalized, but in it, it was about the early church, and it had the crucifixion scene, and the, the Roman soldier who pierced the side of Christ in it had an eye problem, and they kind of did that up in the movie, and when the blood poured out from the side of Christ, it sprinkled and splashed and bathed his face and eyes. He was healed then, but also his eyes were open, and that was when he, he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Fictionalized, but there's a, a, deep, a deep spiritual reality in that. That it is the blood of Christ which removes the interior scales of our eyes. This is what sin costs. Nothing less than the death of God. We trivialize it. We, we play it down. We can't stand the weight of sin, and so we try to ignore it. But God hasn't. You know, all the martyrs, all the saints, saw in the spilling of their blood and entering into the sacrifice of Christ. Which to end with this thought. Not only do we celebrate the unbloody sacrifice of the cross at the altar, so we represent to the Heavenly Father the one sacrifice of the cross in an unbloody manner every Sunday and at every Mass on every day throughout the year but we also commemorate the triumph of that blood. Right before the Agnus, um, before the Behold the Lamb of God, the priest takes the host, he breaks a little piece off of it, and he drops it into the chalice. Up until that point, everything that has gone on in the Mass has led to the cross, to the crucifixion and the death of our Lord. The two separate consecrations signifying the separation of the body and blood of Christ in his death. But when he drops that little piece in there of the host into the chalice, it symbolizes the reunification of those two things, the body and blood that took place in the resurrection. It's the triumph. We receive the risen Lord, but the Lord who bears the wounds that Thomas kissed and touched and believed. And we too are called to approach those wounds to be bathed in the blood and to stop doubting, but to believe in faith, in trust, and in love.